Welcome to Africa is a Country Talk. My name is William Shorkey and I am a staff writer at Africa is a Country. If you haven't heard about us before, Africa is a Country Talk is Africa is a Country's weekly talk and interview show. And if you have heard about us before, then I'm sure you've noticed that we are doing things a little bit differently. So for season two of the show, we will no longer be screening our episodes live on YouTube but we'll rather be pre-recording them and releasing them as a podcast for your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Google, Apple, Stitcher, or whatever you listen to your podcasts on. But if you miss our faces, then select video clips from the recordings are still going to be available for you to check out on YouTube and to share widely. And if you would still like to support us, We are no longer present on Patreon, but we will give anyone who wants to contribute a little bit of money the opportunity to do so on our website. So head over to africasacountry.com if you would like to give us a little bit of money. But we're happy for any support that you give us, whether it's listening to the episode, whether it's sharing the clips on social media. We're just happy to have an audience and we promise that the show is not going to change in content and we will still be engaging fascinating people on a select number of topics from an African perspective. So without housekeeping out of the way to introduce today's episode, which is number 47, it's been a long ride and it's going to keep going. We spoke to Siba Grovugi, who is a professor of international relations theory and law at Cornell University. And we had a really fascinating and insightful conversation with him about the recent coup in Guinea. And what we were interested in unpacking is understanding the long durée of Guinea's politics, uh, looking beyond Alpha Conde being deposed and trying to understand how this goes all the way back to Secretary, how this goes all the way back to pre-colonial times and so on and so forth. And as you'll hear, the prof has a, a really great way of encapsulating the crisis that besets Africa as one of, of state institutions and public morality. If you want to know what that means exactly, then do tune in. Africa is a Country Talk is produced by Antoinette Engel in Cape Town, and it is co-hosted by founder and editor of Africa is a Country, Sean Jacobs, who is based in New York. So without further ado, here is episode number 47. I'm back, as always, with Sean. Sean is... Sean is trying to try to take a step back from doing the show, but he's he's graciously availed himself. Oh, yeah, still so, yeah. here. time's sake, so I'm 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 glad to be joined by Sean. Sean, we've we've had a month away from from Africa's a country work. Uh, we normally go on safari f- during the the summer holidays in the north, uh, and now we're back. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel good. It's like the officially it's like season two is what we should probably yeah. call this episode one. Although we're just going to keep going and call this one number 46. It's incredible that we did 45 episodes um, in the first year. And I won't lie, it was kind of nice to <laughs> have like a break. Um, but I was itching as I think during the, during the end of the summer, um, as a lot was going on politically um, on the continent. Um, and one of, one of those places we are going to talk to a, one of our to a guests today um, I was kind of itching to be back on the program, and um, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy to be back. It's a nice, it's a nice day today. So yeah, let's do the program. Yeah, I, I I totally relate to the desire to come back. I sort of, I think I realized after being off for a month is that the show was kind of the mechanism through which I stayed on top of what was going on in the world and kept engaged and informed. Which is not to say that I don't do it otherwise, but I think it was just nice having a space to sort of think through what was happening on the continent and to have the privilege of having people who know a lot more than we do, who are way more insightful, telling us how to make sense of, of a lot of the crazy things that happen. And as you mentioned, one of the crazy things that happened was on the 5th of September. Just before coup, you go on, apparently yes. I, was, I was wrong and I gave us off one year in football age uh, and said, <laughs> we are, it's, it's uh, it's episode um, 46. It's actually episode 47. 
the sci-fi uh, world. No, we it's this is a this is now a thing that we do all the time. We always are never able to keep track of the episode count. So uh part of the course. And like I said, nothing's changed. It's still the same old Sean and Will messing up the, the episode dates. So uh audiences shouldn't worry. But to get back to what was happening in the world, of course, on the 5th of September, you had another coup in Africa. And uh, we are so fortunate to be joined by Professor Siba Grovugi, who is a professor of international relations theory and law at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, uh, who's going to be joining us to talk about the recent coup in, in Guinea. Uh, professor Grovugi's interests are in international relations theory political theory and African thought. Uh, the prof, if, if you don't mind me calling that, is originally from, from Guinea, and we are looking forward to, to hearing your thoughts on, on what's just happened, prof. And I suppose maybe a good place to start is to, to talk about this image, which for both Sean and I was just tremendously striking of former president, Alpha Conde on a couch, looking very irritated with his knees up and surrounded by a group of soldiers dressed in full military fatigues with their rifles over their backs, all staring into the camera. And this is one of the first images that, that came out after, after the coup happened. And I, I don't know, I'm completely captivated by it. So I'm just curious to hear, when you saw that image, what, what went through your mind? Well, first, thank you, Sean and William, for inviting me to your, to your show. Uh, I won't take it personally that I've, I'm episode 47. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, let me be honest. I was actually, I, I was saddened by the picture. Um, I was, for some weird reasons, one of, the first one of the first people who met Alpha Conde when he came back from exile in Guinea. I knew somebody who knew somebody, and I happened to be there, and, and he so met him in a very private thing. And so my memory of Afkondi was always this guy who fought for multi-party democracy in Guinea for over 40 years, right? And on his election, I did an interview here in the US, and I said that if I were Afkondi, I would not stand up for election to president in Guinea because his image would be tarnished. If I were him, I would go home as a grandfather and said to the country, I fought to give you multi-party democracy. I've given it to you, and thank you very much. And the interviewer asked me why, and I said, because for 42 years, all his body muscles are about fighting. So he's not, he's a combatant. He, he's not somebody who gathers people. Those are not, he doesn't have the requirement to be a president because he's been fighting his entire life which actually was good because he gave us multiple democracy and he was going to ruin it by being president. And so when he changed the constitution, I actually wrote a public letter to three of the major online papers in Guinea and said that he's going to tarnish his image because Alpha Conde, the citizen, was much more useful to Guinea than Alpha Conde, the president. I actually made the distinction in, in my thing. And, and so to see him there sitting among those people really made me very, very sad. That, that's really, really tragic. I almost cried. And what, was, what made it sadder is that he was the one who recruited this young fellow who, who spent his career in the French Foreign Legion to come so he can make him head of the special forces ostensibly to fight terrorism, but really to protect his power. And that's the man who overthrew him. So it was just tragedy and irony together. And it really made me sad, I have to say. If you can, if you can just for a minute, I know the, the it's a very complex and long history, sort of like post-colonial Guinea. Uh, could you? So because one of the things when you were talking now, I just, I just, um, I kept thinking when you said when he was coming back, you thought this is an old man, he should go retire and be a grandfather. Why does he want to run a country? Can you say a little bit about like in that time that he is fighting? that he's fighting for democracy, mostly from France, right? Yeah. From exile. What are the sort of characteristics that are, that, like, that are forming in Guinea that is sort of like cementing? Like, what I'm trying to say is like, 
there's certain features that that became common or or that I became associated with politics in Guinea. And my question is, what were those features, and what, which one of those features could he not uh, destroy or get rid of, and that he just made his part of his own regime? That is actually difficult. But let me just start actually with a, if you can think of his. Uh, Career over time, as a, you know, you put a piano. He, piano. He actually hit all the right key, keys over time. Under Sekuture, um, he basically had political capital to say that September 28, when we said no to France, was the right course of actions to take. But Sekuture has not stuck to the idea of having a free Guinea, independent, democratic, and et cetera, right? So at that level, during Secretary's time, he had that cachet of being on the, on, on the left, uh, head of the FEMF, the, the Francophone Student Association in France, and et cetera. And then when Conte came to power, uh, then he also had, obviously, this is the, after the fall of Berlin, um, Later, when he came in, obviously, the coup was in 84, but he came after the fall of the wall in Berlin, etc. So when this euphoria of democracy in Africa, which also means that his timing was good. And so his timing actually has always been good. What he shares with everybody who came before him in Guinea is that at some point, he must have believed that, actually, he did say explicitly one time in an interview in Guinea, just much like... Uh, Mr. Trump said it in America, only I can fix it. He actually said that. Only I can govern Guinea today. Because he thought that, that, that he had both the, the credentials, uh, the, world, the connections internationally, but also the political savvy to unite Guinea. And, and, and so he became very autocratic. Uh, but in that autocracy, unfortunately for him, uh, uh, there was a civil society that would no longer abide his autocracy. And if Alpha Conde ever hit a wrong note on his piano, this is the time when he, he hit it. Because we have now a very vibrant civil society. So the idea that, that uh, of the uh, providential son, which he had been throughout his career, you know, he was a providential son who was going to free Guinea, he no longer could be that. And so he became authoritarian. And as things go, uh, he, his opposition was mostly from one region of Guinea, so he had to rely on people from his own region. And Guinea historically has always had that, that thing, right? We have um, uh, the Savannah, Haute Guinea, where the Malenke reside, and the Futa Jalon have always provided uh, the elite of Guinea because the other ethnic groups are very small. Uh, and, and so political, politi they have always relied, relied on, 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 on different some minor ethnic groups, you know, in, in coalitions and et cetera. But, but the bulk of people who are in power and people who are opposing him are actually from are ethnic, you know, based in, in their own ethnic group. And I think that the combination between sort of the pool of ethnicity and this such confidence that only he, that he's, a, this idea that he, nobody could dethrone him from his view of himself as the providential son, right? the, the guy who came to fix, basically led him to where he is today. I'm interested in, in, in talking about the, the ethnic politics in a bit, but before that, uh, I want to unpack this idea that you mentioned that Conde had pretty much a savior complex, only he yeah. could could yeah. arrive on the scene and, and fix things. Yeah. And to what extent does that stem almost from his, his well-educated background? So this is a man who studied in, in Paris when he studied in Paris he rubbed shoulders with the founder of, of Doctors Without Borders, uh, developed all of those connections there. In exile, he taught at the Sorbonne, uh, developed this, this nickname as the professor. Do you think that this contributed to him developing a, a conception of himself as an, an enlightened savior? Uh, and do you think that could have only happened because right. of all right. the time he spent away? Well, actually, there, there are two things. Um, um, what you just said is actually true, that he thought he had all the credentials, and, and 
as a matter of fact, compared to his opposition, he's actually quite educated. So that 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 right. So so he was always lecturing at people. But that has to be with his conceit again, the providential son. You know, he, he was in France, he educated, he can lecture people. The other part actually, which is unfortunate, is that he had believed a script that all opposition to Seguture had believed. That educa the education system in Guinea was bad under Seguture were not educated with ideology. As a matter of fact, whereas UNESCO, the Americans, the French checked everywhere, Secretary, for all his flaws, really had a good educational system, right? But he came in thinking that you, you all never left the country where he under the, the dictatorship and therefore you know nothing. So, so there's actually a contempt there, uh, which was very, very ill-founded. I mean, I am a product of Secretary's universities. Absolutely. And proudly so, actually, I should, I should say. And so they, they had this idea that, that because Secretary has, was a dictator, he has these tendencies that everything else was bad. The one thing Secretary created in Guinea was the education system. That is actually his gift to Guinea. But the question, I think the point maybe that we try to push you on is there's a way in which Alpha Conde was, was both presented as, like the way his name circulated internationally was that liberal elites felt comfortable with him. So, you know, like, like we said, Bernard Kushner, he's friends with Soros. They came to advise him, Tony Blair. So this sort of like the international kind of, uh, you know, mainstream politics. I mean, Soros, I would say is more like, I suppose, like so Soros, Soros is an outlier and I can talk about the Soros. Soros is an outlier. I want you to talk about that quickly yeah. in a minute. So but, there's that part. And uh, I think what people forget is, Alpha Conde, if if you're from South Africa, also like I think he was close to the ANC. He, you know, he he was. I, we, I read earlier today that he he was he debated with Malcolm X. So there's a way in which Conde was outside of Guinea. He was everything to every to like sort of everybody. He could like he knew how to maneuver that game, and they might. So that's the one part I want you to just a little bit unpack. You said you want to talk about Soros, and I think the other part is like. There's this juncture, like, did, did Guineans, like, care about all that? Like you just said now, the setup is secretary is uneducated. People in yeah. Guinea are like, no, that's not true. So <laughs> can you just go into that? Yeah. Well, uh, this is the thing. Um, when secretary died, France really wanted to come back to Guinea, right? And in fact, a certain elite in, in Guinea elite in France like Alpha Conde himself, even though he, as the head of the student group, had supported September 28th, the no to the goals referendum, they came to the conclusion that Secretary has created animosity unnecessarily between Guinea and France. And Alpha Conde, being a socialist, was connected to the Socialist International, right? He even knows the current Secretary General of the, the UN. You know, they are all, you know, whether they were Portuguese, Spanish, and et cetera. He knows all of them. He, he was very connected to them, right? And, and that's a social international, um, which is not a bad thing because that's clearly a legitimate movement. But the French side of that really wanted to get back into Guinea and cultivated him and pushed him politically, the Bernard Kushner's and, and the French socialists. He was their guy. Now, there's something about that that Guineans and even people in Senegal, Niger, and et cetera, don't like too much. Because before independence, the French had something called affiliation. Affiliation. So every party in, in Africa, Francophone Africa, was affiliated to, to, to the French. And it was almost like tutelage, right? And that actually rankled a lot of people in Guinea. And, and paradoxically, you know, even though he was doing that as credential, that, you know, people just said, well, we didn't like Secretary, but at least he didn't do that. You know, you don't have to, <laughs> that's not what we do here. Right? Mm. Because there's still some strong Pan-Africanist sentiment in Guinea. Right? But, but that's how he got into that. But right, his connection to the Sarkozy and Tony Blair has nothing to do with socialist credentials. It has to do with minerals, those people pushing certain companies in Africa, in, in Guinea, because um, Guinea still has, you know, the Simandu, for instance, the, the Simandu, Mon Simandu, still is the second largest reserve of iron now left on this planet. And Guinea has a lot of bauxite. Now, when people talk about Guinea being underdeveloped and poor with all its resources, 
I often caution that we, we separate out things because the political economy of Guinea, you can almost map onto these three republics we call it, we talk about. Secretary's idea was that we exploit bauxite, so we have the money to fund education, et cetera, et cetera, but the diamond, the iron ore, and et cetera, leave it all until we educate Guineans to manage it themselves. So he created, they called the mean, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So Secretary's idea, so, Secretary dies, Guinea debt was very, very minimal because he was really proud in that way. Uh, yes, he did not exploit the diamond and the iron ore and et cetera, et cetera, but that's because he actually said, I am going to train Guineans and you create a school of mining to give it to Guineans. So yes, he was there 27 years and Guinea did not show much infrastructure development except for schools and roads and stadiums and et cetera, et cetera, but he did not squander Guinea's resources. And people actually skipped that part. He saved it for future generations. That was his idea of political economy. Africa will have to, 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 to develop itself. Africa will have to have the resources to go ahead. And so Africans should do it, right? Whether you think that that was sort of Afro-sentimentalism, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, but he really believed that. Mm. What's interesting is that what he was able to do, it seems really well, is prevent the French from developing a neo-colonial foothold. Please, but please. at the same time, it seemed like the relationship of economic benefits started to pivot away from the West and towards Russia and, and China, which no, is no, 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 no. Actually, the French exactly. and nobody says that story, that's not true. Because mm. Priya, the he only allowed, he only allocated three sites under him. Now it's become gazillion. But under him, there was uh, op, uh, uh, there was Ofik de Boxit de Guinea, that was Russian. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. There was the, the one in, uh, in, in, in Kamsa, which was American, Alcoa, in Bokeh. And then there was Fria, the French company. In fact, the French company was the only one that was allowed to that took bauxite from its original state to make it into alumine before taking it to France. No, he didn't. People just got paranoid because we were in, during the Cold War and there he was converting the Russians, even though the two other sides were rock, American and French. Right? So mm. again, there's a lot of bad rap about Secretary, but the fact is that he didn't want Guinea to be cornered. In fact, even his uh, causing of the Americans was a way to, to control France, right? Mm. To, to sort of check France. So he was very good at, at that game. And but why do you why do you think why do you think uh, again uh, you know we can come up with all kinds of conspiracies, but why does Secretaria have such a like a like a bad reputation then now? Because what you're telling now is this kind of politics that you're telling us in general this generation they admire that kind of politics. You know the current young people yeah. they admire Nkrumah they admire Secretaria. Why is it that Sekoture has such a bad rap? Sekoture has a bad rap because after the Portuguese invasion, November 22, 1970, when Portugal, backed by NATO, invaded Guinea, Sekoture overreacted. This, is, this has to do with, with uh, Guinea-Bissau. Guinea-Bissau. They came to get America Cabral, but then they right. invaded the whole country. Right. And the Portuguese invasion is real. The French plot against Sekuture are real. Now everybody has written about it, including and including Foucault, right? What people have not refused to admit, and that has to do with the fact that part of his opposition is in Futa Jalon, and they are the most educated lot in Guinea. Under French education, education privilege, the pearl in Guinea, because they were going to run the country. That was physical anthropology nonsense about, you know, facial features, height, blah, 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 and intelligence. Um, so even today, the Pearl are the most educated part of Guinea, uh, 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 segment of Guinea. That is just a fact. It's not, right? But it has to do with its account, colonial education had account for it. But anyway, but France and the segment of the people who oppose Sekuture managed to really, really, right? This is, this is fake news before fake news. And, and basically, <laughs> so the, the world that he was a dictator. What proof do you have a dictator? Is Kambuaro, he put political prisoners there. Right? Both of those are true. As a lawyer, I would say this. Secretary was absolutely wrong to have secret trials. Those trials should have been public except for the few. 
because some involved state secret about how he managed to get the information, etc. But nobody doubts that those plots today, anybody who's honest doubts that those plots were real. They were. He overreacted and then put a lot of people in jail. And today, I, I tell people when I'm asked that I cannot ascertain that all of them were guilty because a lot of political opponents also ended up dead who probably had nothing to do with the, the invasion cell. So it's, it's murkier, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but for people in Africa, actually, it's the, the former head of the African Union, Afri OAU, Organization of African Unity, uh, Teddy Jalo was one of the people who died in jail. Which is why even when, when you go to Addis Ababa, you have the picture of all the heads of state and secretary generals of, of the African Union, but you have no picture of Sekuture. And I think that, that is that. But part of it also, you have to acknowledge that in the Francophonie, people bought in the French agenda to ostracize Sekuture. And so in those countries, all the legend of Sekuture was, it's like the black legend for the Spanish in the New World. Well, the Spanish were not the only people who killed people, but of course the Spanish get stuck with Spanish legend, and we know the American record. The Cold War was messy, and a lot of, look, I was in a classroom once, Crawford Young was my professor. He comes in class, he said, Sekutura was a dictator. Before <laughs> Bani ran, but this is the part, before Bani ran Ivory Coast with an iron grip. And I raised my hand, I said, what's the difference, excuse me, sir? In the two. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I think you're also raising something here, maybe about, like, what you said, like, before fake news, there was fake news. So there's also a way in which, for example, Seco Ture is, like, set up against, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Senghor. Yeah. So yeah. Senghor is, Senghor is a violent, Senghor yeah. is extremely violent. People, uh, Blondin Diop gets murdered. People are sent to jail. There's Look, repression, but that's not how people talk about no, Senegal. Yeah. As a, yeah. Cote d'Ivoire invented, Ofoebwani and Kamazu Bandu invented what we call today to accidentalize your opposing, opponent. To accidentalize is a verb. Because anybody who opposed Kamazu Bandu or Ofoebwani ended up in an accident somewhere on the coast with somebody coming didn't have breaks. <laughs> 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 I wanna I wanna know though, because I think it's it's good to sort of to challenge the way we remember Sekuture, but thinking about after Sekuture. No, 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 but I, I'm going to, I was going to I was you asked me oh, that. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm not defending Sekuture, I'm actually putting his legacy. No, no, you that was good. The way you said yeah, the way you, yeah. you laid the groundwork for to understand like Alpha like why Alpha Conde. Yes, like, exactly. You have to so, so Alpha like, Conde. Alpha, while, while, while the dictatorship was happening, mm -hmm. Alpha Conde was being groomed. Yeah. Because the opponent of Tusekuture, who were from the footage alone, had been discredited because they just said it's an ethnic thing. Right. But Alpha mm -hmm. Conde was part of Sekuture's ethnic group. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, they were, they, I saw earlier today, like when he was young, he came back and forth to Guinea. He yeah. met with Sekuture. Of course, in the process, I saw he wrote a book and he also told like his own. He, he, he constructed his own myth as opposed to that of Seko Ture. He would say, like, I met him and I saw that he looked at me and wanted to see if I had fear in my eyes. And so he's also constructing, like, his own story. Yeah. Yeah. Why was he sentenced to death in absentia? Because I know that happened to... That's what I... Uh, one day. Well, it, it happened during the, um, you know, the plot against Seko Ture. People were not mm -hmm. there with sentenced in death by abstention. So those who were sentenced by death in, who were in Guinea were actually hung, right? So that part of Guinea, I am not making light of it. It was very, very dark, right? Because really the guy after the invasion went mad. But you know what? If you look at the fact that two, two buildings, which is a serious thing, in America fell down, we, we broke two countries and Abu Ghraib and et cetera, et cetera. Really, when I talk about it, I actually talk about what happened to the modern state system and the security of the state. If you read it that way, security is actually not abnormal. But for, for people in Guinea who are not used to seeing people hung to our African sensibilities, that was shocking. Mm. Absolutely shocking. So, but it's much more complex as a theorist of the state and et cetera. When I look at it, I just say, you know, I mean, he's, he's not like Pinochet. You know, all that stuff is nonsense, right? But anyway. Bref, I think so Akonde was groomed as this more civilized, smart, and etc. 
and the French elite really pushed him. Right? And the French used both the resources and the connections in Guinea to push Alpha Conde. So by the time Alpha Conde comes to Guinea in the 1990s, he was received as a, as a head of state. In fact, Lansana Conte complained that there, were, there was a state within a state. Because people took their direction from Alpha Conde directly. He was not even president yet. Right? So he had that kind of cloud. But all of that stuff was, was again prepared before he came to Guinea. Right? Well, uh, it was that period also of... Um... Uh, democratization, which, but in a sort of very Western, I mean, it was a necessary move, right? The early 90s, after the end of the Cold War, mm -hmm. is this kind of, we must democratize, have national conventions, uh, multi-party democracy. So it's in that moment also, so I'm just saying like Alpha Conde, maybe of his own doing and like they planning, but also the moment is that moment. That moment is kind of ripe for that kind of, politician who's urbane, Western, wears nice suits, hangs out with Kushan and Soros. So it's not like it's not like it's all planned. It's also like the timing. The timing is also would you <laughs> what do you say to that? Yes, it is it's the timing. It's the timing. And obviously uh Lansana Conte was also part of that. You know Lansana Conte when he came to power had bought in the idea that Guine Guineans were who were inside were uneducated. So he brought the diaspora, like diaspora Guinean. The first cabinet of Alpha Con, uh, Lansana Conte was mostly Guineans who had lived abroad. You know, the uh, Edouard Benjamin, the, what's his name? Uh, Kaba, uh, 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 I'm forgetting his name now. Um, the former minister of industry, whose name escaped me, who was in Germany. So they were all from abroad, right? He called it like diaspora. The diaspora was going to save Guinea. Mm. And that fizzles so fast because the diaspora realized that actually somebody had lied to them that Guineans were not were poorly educated. So they confronted people in Guinea who, had, who were very sure about both what Secretary had done and what, where they wanted to go. So Lansana Conte let go of the diaspora, right? And then once the diaspora left, Lansana Conte turned to his own ethnic group, right? Deep, relies very strongly on that ethnic group. And then when he did that, Alpha Conde also. You know, the RPG became identified with the Malenke. Right? And, and, but that's because the president who was there actually relied on, um, on, on his ethnic group. And so that's uh, the ethnicization that Alpha Conde found himself in was almost by accident. It was not, right? It, he didn't plan it that way. But it's that the president relied on the so so and then recruited some of the pearl on his side. And so the RPG became. Uh, 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 Malinke. That also has to do with the fact that um, Lansana Conte did not offer trial to Secretary's family when he came to power. They were just assassinated, which is also people don't talk about because Secretary's cabinet was just eliminated, except for his prime minister who died in the Chinese embassy, also because they deprived him of his medicine. Mm. Right? So the political violence in Guinea is always told partially against Secretary because they are actually the French, the West and a very strong segment of Guinean intellectuals bought into that agenda to, 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 to sort of tie Secretary's image. Could you, could you give us a kind of, we've, we've, it's been in the background of this conversation, the, the ethnic makeup of, of Guinea and how that affects the political party system. Yeah. We've spoken about the Pearl, the Sosa yeah. and the Malinke. Could you just, could you describe that for someone who's sort of never heard of these groups? When, when um, I see where I can conclude this now, what is happening here? Are we at the end? Anyway, no worries, no worries. Don't, don't worry, don't about, worry that. about that. Um, Guinea has three major ethnic groups the Soso on the coast, the Pearl in the mountains, right, and the Malinke in the savannah. In the forest, you have like five multiple ethnic groups uh, on the North western corner, you have the Landuma, Mikifore, whatever you know, there are also a bunch of small ethnic groups there. But so it's these three major ones. This thing when people think about politics, they think about those three groups because they are natural home to the main political parties, even coming to an, 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 an independence. 
when Guinea voted no, the people who voted mostly to remain close to France were mostly from the footage alone. Not all of them, I have to, precise, to be precise. Um, but something happened in Guinea under Sekuture. Sekuture was so afraid of losing his power that he would not let anybody who came after school have his first job in the native region. So he shifted people around. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, either by design or by accident, Guinea actually has a very, 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 the, the, the ratio of intermarriage in Guinea is very, very, very high. Mm. And, and, and so for instance, when we had civil wars around Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea-Bissau, uh, 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 Mali, and Ivory Coast, I was once asked at the State Department whether I thought Guinea would fall apart. I said, no. Guinea, how politics is lived in Guinea and how the quotidian of Guinea is lived are very different. So we'll always have these ethnic affiliation tones to political parties and et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to violence, actually it gets more complicated because the, the, the rate of intermarriage in Guinea is very, very high. That is a direct outcome of 27 years refusing to allow anybody to, be, to serve in their home countries. So and since people left at university when they were in their 20s, the natural thing to do was marry wherever you were, unless the family was strongly opposed to it, which also happened often, right? But politically, because these parties really don't have a clear agendas that separates them, then it becomes really, people have an understanding that what you are doing is uh, what we now call it fashionably as uh, capt capturing the state, right? People want to be president so that they can serve their families. And that is actually sadly understood that way and because it's not really political agenda that sets them apart, really. Uh, um, and, and that's what makes ethnicity matter so much more during election time. But otherwise, as life goes on in Guinea, it's actually very, very, ethnicity plays some part, but not, not as big as people imagine. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting because, uh, and, you know, another thing that I was, I was reading as well is that during the, the election campaign of last year and the referendum campaign that preceded it, uh, Alpha Conde in his campaigning wasn't really going around speaking to audiences, but was going to, to villages and towns, engaging with imams and, and elders yeah. as intermediaries. So yeah. although uh, they are a powerful group in Ghanaian society that brokers power, or to what extent is their influence uh, still entrenched um, or, or being undercut? Guinea especially the savannah where the Malenke are and, 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 and the mountains where the pearl are, those are really, I mean, I would say that some of them, in the footage alone, the footage alone is almost 90% Muslim and a very, very conservative kinds of Islam in the footage alone. They are very strict observant, even more so than the Malenke, but the Malenke also are very observant Muslims. The forest region is split between Christians and, 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 and Muslims. The coast is also divided between Christians and Muslims. Though in, on the coast, they are more Muslims than Christians. In the forest, they are more Christians than Muslims. Uh, but those two regions, the influence of Imam is a very, very strong because they, they are very strict observant. So you have big towns, you know, for instance, in, in Fujayo, when you say Labe, Timbo, Yembereng, uh, et cetera, et cetera, people know what that means because you know historically who ruled those places, you know how they are structured, you know how they are organized, and the imams of, of those places are very, very, very powerful. In the, in the Savannah, it's the same thing. If you say, uh, 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 if you say Karela, or you say uh, Kankan Sigiri, or you say uh, 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 you know, Dabula, you, you know those, these places, right? They actually have very, very strong his histories to them, Dingirai, where Elajumar was, right? Elajumar, who brought mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, Islamic theocracy to Guinea and etc. So these are very, very, very strong, right? And, and the Futajana has always been divided in nine parts according to their adherence to both Islam and the old uh, Islamic state in the 19th century. So this is very, very strong. This is not something any flighty intellectual can go tomorrow and change because you are smart, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a very strong. Those are very, very strong structures. Now, young people, so Alpha Conde, like Lansana Conte before him, always knew that he would lose the capital city. 
and the big towns. So where they go to campaign is in those places. If you have the imams and etc. behind you, you are almost set. Yeah. So let me, I want to ask a question on, since you said about campaigning and then maybe just we move into government. So Conde is, he, he gets to power. Um, how would you, outside, of course, the, the kind of, the way that we read it and, you know, secondhand is that what, what, un, what is the, the undoing of Conde is, is an inability to compromise the kind of what, what we said, like, you know, he's changing the constitution eventually to a, to a third term. But I also understand that he, there was a joke, a jokey but biting way that people refer to him as sort of Papa promises. Like you are making promises, but it never comes up. So this kind of like inability to compromise, this, this view of like things, regular people don't see any changes and this problem of how to manage the resources. Are those, would you say that those are, those are the things that, that how people begin to define Conde's time in power? Yeah. What is interesting actually is that when he started changing the constitution, when, when, when he started changing the constitution, uh, forest people were as adamant against changing the constitution. In fact, a lot of people from the forest who are not normally not political, were among the, the first people to say, no, you not, will not change the constitution. And, mm. and so when people say ethnic politics, this is also where I cringe a bit. <laughs> because even though the opposition, the face of the opposition is Daleng, who is Pearl and longtime opponent. In fact, the first people who, who, who were arrested and some died in jail were people from the, from the forest region. Because there was, a unif there was almost a near uniform, outside of his own ethnic group, view that he, he had been a very bad manager and that he was corrupt, right? That, that was actually a view held by a lot of people. And that's not just a question of position, right? And this is what I was saying actually in my initial comment that even before he was elected the first time, when I was interviewed by the Baltimore Sun, I said that he, 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 he doesn't have the muscles, the body muscles to be a good president because for 40 years he was fighting people. This was, right? He was not a, he's not a manager basically. He's an, a geek and intellectual, okay. Uh, he has a lot of connections, okay, but a manager he's not. And I mean, speaking of him not having the, I suppose, the knack for for running uh, a, a state, he was dethroned by by one of his own. So I'm interested to to talk a little bit more about Mamadi Dumbuya. I think one thing that was really striking is that when he took to television and announced that that Conde had been deposed, he said that. If the people are crushed by elites, it is up to the army to give the people their freedom. So can you tell us more about uh, Dumbuya as a, as a character? Where did he come from? How did it end up, to your knowledge, that he was the one put forward as the person who had to, to lead this, this yeah. coup d'etat? Uh, first of all, he's one of the least known army people in Guinea, which is both a blessing and a mystery. No, the blessing is that we are used to people who were who run the country under under uh, uh, Lansana Conte and that is Kamara. We also know who in the army was what. Basically, Alpha Conde, because he didn't trust some generals around him, went and fetched this guy from the French Legion just three years ago. Like his entire career, he was also in Guinea. He was fighting French wars in Afghanistan and many other places, not in Guinea, on behalf of the French. So Alpha Conde, I don't know whose idea which was, but brought him back because they are from the same town and wanted him to take over the uh, special forces to protect, that protected his, his power. The idea was that he was going to special forces to respond to terrorism, violence, and et cetera, et cetera. But he's the one who was crushing the opposition, leading to the third mandate, right? Mm. So, but because he, he's not known, he could sneak by people who are unsuspecting, and then he would just say, you know, I came to help you, to save you. Um, so this is the thing. Nobody knows what his connections are from where, from his past with the French, right? That's, that's the mystery part. Nobody knows his connections, and nobody knows exactly what he wants. In fact, the coup was so much the action of one person who had the special force around his fingers and had all the 
more, more modern weapons and etc cetera, etc cetera, that until today a good 16 days after the coup we don't know yet who is on this military committee with him we don't know him the list of people who are in the CRN has not been published yet he's always thinking about a government right so it's such an individualized thing there's nothing about it that is a collective that came from the army which is also frightening so, right and a friend of mine told me he can either be a Sankara or he can be something completely opposite to that. So you're you know, saying that if, if, if this is a question about the military and how the military has behaved in Guinea, when it comes to Dumboya, there's no precedent. There's no, there's, there's, he's just very different. This is not, it's not like you could say like, I have, there's a theory of how the military operates in Guinea and this guy is just a continuation or a version. I cannot of it. do that. You can't do that. He's completely outside of that. Yeah. Is that because? Sorry, I was just going to ask out of interest. Is that because that, as as far as I know, when Conde came into power, he tried to sort of restore civilian control of the military. Military tried to sort of depoliticize it, or was that not really? No, 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 no. My friend, you are totally mistaken. <laughs> it, it is not to criticize. It was having a unit that can keep the army in check. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. And right away, less than eight months, eight months after Marie Dumbuya came, there was already rumor in Konaki that Conde was afraid of him and wanted to put him back into the genie box. Mm. But it was too late, right? Because he was so independent of the rest of the army and he had all the means, he really was beginning. And people used to say. C'est velléité, this is in French. Le velléité d'indépendance de Dumbuya. Right? Velléité d'indépendance meaning his uh, tendency to, to see himself as totally independent from the rest. Like, right? Mm. Yeah. The velléité d'indépendance, people were beginning to rumor that uh, he was sure of something and nobody knew what. So, in fact, three months before the coup, there was also rumors that Conde was going to depose him. Because he had been, he was fed up with his this velléité d'indépendance, right? His attempt to be sort of, you know, I, I don't give account to the president, I don't give account to the army. I'm my own guy. I have my own troops, special forces, and big weapons, radios, blah blah, blah right? And so it became really problematic. But but it became problematic because they gave him a position to be between a thing between uh, 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 Conde. Uh, 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 Conde and, and the army, and then, right, because some people in the army were not really sure anymore during, especially when he wanted to change the constitution, they were not so sure that they wanted to support that. The, the way to remember Guinea army, actually, is also the complexity, is that you still have in the army in Guinea people who are veterans from the wars in Congo, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, where they were defending African liberation. So Guinea's army is not an army of thugs, right? It has thugs within it, obviously. <laughs> and that's my word, not yours, um, <laughs> right? But it's actually a very Republican army for, for many years. Even under Sekuture, it actually fought for African liberation. So you have people there who really are not sure that they should be shooting at people because their own formative years were of a different kind of army, what the purpose and et cetera. Now, right? So, so, so those people, Alpha Conde knew of, there's a certain generation Alpha Conde was always suspicious of. They were, not, they were not going to go for his plan schemes to stay in power, which is why Alpha Conde brought this other guy to just sort of keep them in check, uh, Dumbuya, right? So, so this is actually, it, it's, it's, it's tricky. None of this obviously speaks to what Dumbuya himself will do. I'm just saying that the way he was brought in basically made him a one-man show. And even today, nobody knows who is in who is in, is in was in his committee and you know what is that they wanted to do, except that they know what Guinea people have been saying about Alpha Conde all along, corrupt, incompetent, etc. Mm -hmm. etc. Et right? Uh, autocratic. So he's basically saying what people were saying, which is pleasing people, but then people don't know exactly what next. And, and when thinking about what next, I'm curious to know a number of things. I think the first thing is, is where is the, the opposition in all of this? So just, just before the 
referendum process began, uh, Selu Diallo, who's one of the the opposition leaders, he's the face uh, of the opposition today. Yeah, sorry, he's the face of the opposition today. Exactly, exactly. And they they set up this 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 organization called the Front National for la Defense de la Constitution. La Constitution, yeah, to protect the Constitution. Exactly. Yes, and and that was supposed to be the vehicle to sort of to resist the the changes that that Alpha Conde was trying to make. But of course, COVID happened, and I think a lot of people's organizational plans were stymied. So I'd like to know where are they as as this reconstitution process they, happened? They, they are they are very split, and that also explains why Daleng has not been president yet in Guinea because people really also recognizing him something they recognize in Alpha Conde, which is just power. So basically, some of those youngsters in that movement wanted to oppose the military and ask the military to leave as fast as possible. Dalen now is saying, well, you know, maybe we should wait until they set up elections, etc., etc., because Dalen is more interested in, in elections because the elections he imagined will favor him. Well, other people are trying to say, well, we were trying to preserve the constitution. Shall we give us ourselves better institutions, better constitutions, and et cetera, et cetera? And Dalen just saying, well, you know what? We actually want them to do the transition to elections, right? So the agendas there are very, very different. These young people who were defense the constitution, many of them are not pearl, actually. As I said, they were from the forest, from the coast, everywhere in Guinea. And, and so there is a sort of disagreement in that coalition now about what to do. But Dalen's interest is never to give Guinea a good or bad constitution. He knows the constitution as it is now work for him. So if you have elections, he'll be a most powerful president with nothing to stop him from doing also whatever he wants to do. Dalen was also once a prime minister under Lansana uh, uh, Conte. Yeah, yeah. And, and so people also know that he was there when they sold Guinea's assets during privatization. Right? IMF World Bank privatization. He was the one who initiated that. So um, people are not terribly... <laughs> Right, I'm comfortable, but he has the largest coalition, so he's just saying, uh, ask them to hasten the elections. We, all, we want elections, have the transitions and organize the elections, and that works for me fine. So, so what are the options for? Go no, ahead. I, I was just going to follow up, like but something you, which you, which you were beginning to ask, I suppose, Will, but hope uh, maybe you forgot to just bring it in. So, like, there's the there's these like groups around the constitution, focus on election. Are there other groups? So I uh, yeah. was telling me about there was a teacher strike in 2017. Like, are there other groups that have the ability to kind of change the dynamics of politics? So, you know, the, the, the and again, not, not groups that are, for example, ethnically based, but for example, teachers, students, like, like do they have some kind of power to move politics in a different direction? Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned all these young people, what are what are their options? Yeah. What are their options? The, 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 take, take the teachers' union, right? Um, <laughs> they run to trouble Sekuture. They oppose Lance Conte. They oppose Dadis clearly. They also oppose Alpha Conde, right? The teachers' union have been actually a moral force. Uh, sadly, what gives them their power is also what prevents them from being political beyond. Right? They have stuck to labor issues labor issues, right? But the arguments are often political because, um, you know, when they hear that the government has spent money doing X, Y, and Z, they will say, ah, you have money for that, but you don't have for teachers, so we go on strike. Um, you have that. I actually think that what is emerging today in Guinea, uh, young people, we are not yet Tahara Square yet, but young people on, on their own platforms are very jaded, right? And I think that Dumbuya knows clearly that if he lets the constitutional process go run away from him, he will get a different constitution. He probably will not be in power. Which is why, since he came to power, even without proclaiming who is on his committee with him, Committee National, whatever he's here and there, um, nobody knows. What he has given us is this I'll have 16 ministers, and this is what I'm going to do toward the next constitution. And so in that regard, he and Dalen are not on the same wave. Dalen wants to go to elections, prepare, and Dumbuya wants a new constitution. But he wants one that, right? So he's organized this forum of consultation. Now everybody comes to talk for two hours and by group, right? 
the representative of all the regions of Guinea, all 50 of them come, they talk to him for two hours. I don't know what they say to him, and blah, 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 and then they go. And now he, he's going to say, I consulted the people, classic authoritarian <laughs> maneuver. I consulted the people, this is what we are going to get. I've told people long time ago that that was a scenario because the guy actually is um, he's more like a Kodio in Latin American sense. He's, um, right, he's the one-man guy savior, which is why I keep calling him self-proclaimed providential man, right? He is coming. Mm. Both Chavez. 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 Chavez, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, Chavez is, is uh, the more apt comparison there, right? Uh, he's going to save us. He's consulted everybody, and then he's going to tell us one day what the people want. So, I, 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 yes. So go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I said that was my projection. I've been saying right, that. Right, 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 right. So I want to get back to something that you mentioned earlier, and I'm curious about. So, looking ahead, and this is to be sort of slight, like based on the history and being prescriptive. What should be not well? Firstly, what is the role, and then what should it be of these kind of international NGO funders, advisors, like? How would you describe their role? Because you mentioned earlier, you said you talk about Soros later, because I, there's the French, then there's this kind of international civil society who is equally powerful now in determining like the fates and the directions of governments. Like, where do they fit in? Because I know Soros, I think I saw online stories that at some point Soros did advise uh, uh, Conde. Conde was very close to them, to OSF and so on. Where do those people fit in? And what do you want them to... Where do you want them to fit? What do you want them to do or whatever to be like um, their role be if there's a solution, or should they just stay out of it? Uh well, if you ask me directly, I will say that the solution is for all of them to stay out of it. Uh, I was going to say Soros is not like um Soros is not as mercenary as uh, Sarkozy and, and Tony Blair have been. Mm. So those are there actually really to push foreign contracts right in the battle against the Chinese. That is really sort of crass commercial mercantilism, really. I wanted to say commercialism, but I've been even really kind. <laughs> right? That's really crass for them. Soros is this naive guy who supports rule of law. Anybody who says rule of law, when Conde came to power and uh, he seemed to be supporting human rights organizations, especially after the the incident in the stadium September 28th when the women were mm -hmm. killed and et cetera, et cetera. So, right, he gives these, these monies. But he actually doesn't control the direction which those go. And 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 that's what I said. This, this, this source has this naive faith in civil society and civil society is not, it's, nobody should glamorize civil society as the people, you know, I'm more with my friend David Kennedy about the, the, the darkest, you know, the darker side of virtue. All these virtuous people have very dark sides, and 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 then Soros ends up being instrumentalized, right? For instance, um, the Association for the Defense of Human Rights in Guinea, sadly, used to be led by one of my professors in, who taught me constitutional law, but it it really is the members initially. I don't know how they are now, but they are all from one part of Guinea, right? And and then mm. human rights becomes if you touch these people. But you can do other things over there. That's not really the remit, and etc. Et right? I am not terribly taken in by civil society. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so we should be out of business. <laughs> so I'm saying we are sort of like a little bit like we're devil in the civil society. No, 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 no. No, I know what you mean. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, citizens, no, I, I yeah. mean, you know, I'm a student of history, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That part of the population that is not the government, no commerce, no right. whatever. I understand yeah. that. But civil society has a different connotation. Like you were talking about international NGOs and mm. the ones that have the, you know, stamp of legitimacy. This who is have the issue of the moment. Yes. Yeah. This is the jargon. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the donor industrial complex yeah, yeah. and everything. I, I, I am not. I, I'm also civil society. Uh, so. I'll give you money to talk about human rights, but I'm not going to give you money to talk about how should we manage. Yes. How should we have about, a regime for bauxite for public ownership yeah. of bauxite or, or socializing the means of production? That's that's yeah. a step too far. <laughs> so that, that's what I mean, which is why I, I'm not terribly. You know, I'm part of civil society, but I'm not necessarily all sold on their virtues. But I think you make an interesting distinction there where you said 
there's a certain naivety on the part of like uh, the the sort of the way that Soros enters Guinea or let's say open society, and then like you said, and how it gets instrumentalized. So it's not that they have, like you said, terrible intentions, like say Tony Blair or or, or, or whatever the yeah. French state. Yeah, but there's also a way in which they are like they don't know how they how it's gonna play out. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's in a way, like you said, maybe in the case of Guinea for now, is just don't get involved. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. My, my, my idea really would be just stay out. So to if maybe the ask Union, if the African Union, my dream is that the African Union takes Dumbuya seriously when he said only the sovereign people of Guinea would determine its, its, um, its fate. And then tell Dumbuya, show me the form and manner in which that sovereign will will express itself. Mm. Right? Because that express will should have something to say about both the state, society, constitutions, and etc. And by the way, when they talk about the state, they are talking about your powers. Yeah, yeah. The problem, the, 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 the yeah. problem of the of the of the AU is the AU is full of people like there's some dumbias in there, there are some Condes with the with with changing constitutions. There's in some of them they they have an election. So it's like it's 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 very interesting how they would how they would this wish how this wish would come through or even ECOWAS because they others they aren't even doing they're not even doing the minimum. Well, you know what I've I've told I've, I've written and I've I have a platform called Ozone Republic. I talk to people in Guinea. I just said you know I'm tired of symmetry. Do you know how much money it costs to move the president of Ghana, the president of Cote d'Ivoire, the president of Niger on an airplane, go take them, how much protection they needed, where they had to stay in the hotel, how, that, how much money was financed, was put to, to use to do that? For what? To go say, well, we saw Alpha Conde, he's okay. No. Spoke to him for two hours and now we're going back. <laughs> that, that is actually nonsense. Really, you really have to learn this. I'm getting, like young people in Guinea, I'm getting mad at the AU and for their sort of folklore of, you know, let's go. No. We are not having a very serious deliberation. Consultation is not deliberation. Mm -hmm. I don't care about what he's doing. I actually want the AU to commit itself to deliberative processes when you have these kind of coups. Because they all come and say the sovereign will of whatever. The sovereign will. Ask them, how does that manifest itself? And then we go to how that will manifest itself. Right? Guinea has all the ingredients of modern states. Power sharing, the footage had the D-Ways. You don't know about that D-Ways, D-I-W-E. You can check that later. Right? Power sharing is not new to Guinea. The the um, uh, Sunjata Keta's Grio, Grio Jedi means a compact in blood. Basically, talks um, impress upon Sunjata Keta that a leader has the obligation to know. And he told him as friends, if you are not going to listen to me, our friendship ends. But otherwise, we make a compact. You shall never harm me so I can tell you what the people think of you. You have the obligation to know. Four centuries before the American Bill of Rights. And somebody tells me, if the media says something, you have insulted the head of state. If you don't want to be insulted, go home and stay there. So, but our, the way we imagine the press is slightly different from what the Americans have in the Bill of Rights, which is sort of a bunch of bourgeois people who had the right to print whatever they know. In the context of Mali, it was actually the obligation of the leader to know the sentiment of his people. We can surely imagine how institutionally that works. We can surely imagine power sharing. We can surely imagine how civil society worked. In Guinea, in the forest, they had no centralized state system. They functioned on the basis of trust, all the intangible trust, norms, and et cetera, et cetera. Guinea has, we don't have to go to France, to America to get it. Guinea has all it needs for a state of its own. If somebody wants to find out those, how you get to those through a deliberate process, the air you should consult, start consulting people outside of the military. So, so who will be, I'm curious to know, whatever, what is that? I'm curious to know who will be, who do you think will be 
the agent of change that can force this deliberative process in Guinea, where it turns uh, it's, it's, it's not a problem of Guinea alone. It's not a problem of Guinea alone. Yeah. It is that other African intellectuals really start banging on the doors of AU and say, change, change your ways because it has happened in Mali, it has happened everywhere. Now, this morning, there was an attempted coup or whatever in Sudan, Sudan yeah. whatever. It's, it's the whole continent. The whole continent actually has to really come to grips with what we call in the post-colonial in, in the post-colonial era, the sovereign will of the people. We have to decide what that is substantively. We have to decide how we come that, to that substantively. And we have to decide what public morality should be. That's not just Guinea. It's the whole where you are sitting, my friend, in South Africa. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. 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 Oh, it's the whole continent. We have, we should recognize the crisis for what they are. We have a crisis of state, of institution, of morality. We do. The crisis of the state is people who govern us. The crisis of institution is the kind of bastardized constitution we have given us to be the foundation of state that hold no water, none whatsoever. But the crisis of the state is you and me, my friend. Don't you are not excluded, it's you and me. What are we doing? What is what happened to 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 Amika Cabral's admonition? Each generation must decide in relative obscurity for itself, blah blah blah. It's mission and betray it or accomplish it, whatever this citation now. Mm -hmm. It's really us. This is a great way, yeah. Amika Cabral was of the same opinion. We have to have universal citizenship. We have to. There's absolutely no question about that. Right? Mm -hmm. But any person who comes has a military coup, comes to power, you have African elite running to be ministers and enter the government. There's only one brief moment in Mali when I was proud of African elite, when Sanugo came to power. Sanogo lasted seven days because no elite in Bamako will accept to enter into his government. It's the only time in Africa where the elite actually has taken the principle saying, just say, you want to be in power, be there, we won't. It happened in Mali, briefly, under Sanogo. He could not find a single human being, go, civilian, go into his government. You know, we, 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 are, we all speak from both sides of our mouth. We are in, we are out. No, the crisis of state of institutions, and of morality. Or if you go Desmond Tutu's way of spirituality, but I think it's morality. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of a, of a better note to end the program on those powerful words, that tripartite phrase, crisis of state, institutions, and, and morality. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm left with a lot to think about. Uh, and and Prof, just wanna just wanna extend deepest gratitude uh, for you coming on to the show today and 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 truly enlightening us. I think uh, and we're, we're we're grateful and and I think our our listeners are going to really appreciate your insights. Yeah, yeah, this is brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much, and and I hope Antoinette edits quite a bit because I said things like we should not have. <laughs> Where's Antoinette before I make my plea? I want to say <laughs>